Welcome to PopTech in Review, led by Vidizoo, a video monetization platform focused on creating high-end video products for digital publishers. This podcast is dedicated to building a community and uncovering the subjects that matter most to digital publishers. Join us as we break down and explore industry policy, expert opinions, monetization technologies, and programmatic industry's future. PubTech in Review. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of PubTech in Review. Today we have a special guest speaker and a very close friend of mine, Gilad DeVries, the Chief Strategy Officer at Outbrain. Outbrain is one of the largest content recommendation platforms in the world, powering their recommendation engine on more than 7,000 publisher sites, including big names such as CNN, Washington Post, Le Monde in France, Build in Germany, and so much more. Gilad, nice having you here and congratulations. Outbrain just became public in July 2021. How does that feel? Thanks for inviting me, Daniel. It's great to be here. It is an amazing experience to open the trade in NASDAQ, something we really dreamt about for over a decade. Uh, we grew the company from 30 employees when I joined to over 1,000 now, and we're very, very proud of that. And I, I think it brings amazing energies to the company, and it puts a lot of uh, focus on, on really making sure you're, you're saying what you're going to do and delivering on what you said. I think it's a very important milestone for a company uh, to be able to really take itself to the next level. That's great to hear and I can totally relate. Now tell me, Gilad, you have been with Outbrain for more than 10 years now and I've known you for a while. So I know you've been through several roles in the company before becoming the Chief Strategy Officer. But maybe our listeners would like to hear about the initial journey of Outbrain as a company and how and when it became so successful and big. Sure. So uh, I've actually uh, been an observer um, on the board of, of directors since 2008. I was uh, part of a venture capital firm at the time, and um, we invested in Outbrain on its second round. I joined the company full time at the end of 2010 uh, to start the brands and agencies business. And, and that's a part of, of how Outbrain expanded. We started uh, with a business that was solely focused on publishers to publishers and doing content recommendations and only in the US. And then we started uh, to, to expand that strategically. So expanding into more countries, as well as expanding the, the business proposition uh, to more than just two publishers. We started with uh, opening an office in London and then in other countries in Europe. Then we started to also uh, shift and, and expand our product to, to create a, a bigger solution, which also catered to brand marketers and um, it started with just promoting content, and we started uh, the category of, of what we know today as, uh, as content marketing. And then we expanded to, uh, to really being able to allow and enable marketers to promote all kinds of formats and all kinds of um, uh, sponsored ads that, that, they, uh, that they need. We then started to open more and more offices around the world, expanded to Japan, and the company grew from about 15 people in Israel and 15 people in New York to more than 1,000 people in 18 different countries now, working with different business models, supporting all different kind of, of uh, advertising formats from native to display to video, et cetera. Um, so the whole value proposition of the company has really evolved over the years in conjunction with also the geographical expansion. That's so inspiring. You know that I'm a big fan of your story and also both of our companies work together. But now let's talk business. How do you see native advertising versus banner display and what are Outbrain's plan and vision for the next three years? 
I think the big promise of native versus banners is the fact that basically a native ad is taking a much more dynamic approach to the ad. For example, the title, the thumbnail, the image associated with it, the, uh, the destination, the brand logo, and breaking up these elements from the banner actually allows a lot more creativity and a lot more possibilities as well as better personalization to the user. With banners, the marketer would, will usually have three uh, to five different variations of, of, of the banner in, every, in a very strict, predefined template of sizes of what the banner should look like. With native, they can create five variations for each one of those elements and immediately the amount of variation you can allow for much more personalization per variable, per segment of users. To tailor the right message and the right color scheme and the right image to the right title to every uh, different consumer. Moreover, allowing that level of flexibility, I think, is what creates better results. At the end of the day, what's really important is not necessarily the format. It's to cater to the goals of the marketer and what's the right thing for the user. Yeah, so besides that format, what are the company plans in the next two years in native area? I mean, are you planning to introduce more formats or will you just stay completely focused on native advertising? So first of all, we're not doing any only native anymore. We are now a company that ha that supports all types of display formats, right? We support native display, including banners and uh, video. Just in video, we have over five different formats that marketers can can play with. As far as where the world is going, I think that we will see a continued shift to mobile. And on mobile screens, there is very little room, unlike a desktop screen. So the feed and the fact that every article page is basically a new homepage of the publisher is a real game changer in terms of how we need to think about it. Moreover, the homepage used to be the area where the publisher needs to showcase everything he's doing and make that offering to the users and allow the users to choose and go from there into the rest of the site. Nowadays, that has basically uh, become true for every article page because most traffic comes into the article pages first, not starting at the homepage. So the first thing that is interesting about that is that the feed is super important because that's where the user discovers what's his next read. And you can really personalize his experience uh, in that regard and not show the same uh, whole page experience to every user. So there's a lot of innovation that goes into the formats as you've seen in the last few years, we introduced many new formats to the market. So with video, you know, for example, we have outstream video, which is just ads showing in the feed playing automatically. And you now have in-stream video ad formats. We have highlights, which are bas which basically shows you um, like an Instagram stories format of, of and a slideshow experience. And you can pause and press the video in the middle of that. There's going to be continued innovation around formats and, and the sky's the limit in terms of what we can engage the user with. Now, we all see the organic growth in video year over year. So wishing you the best of luck in embracing more and more of it. I'm biased, you know. I think that native recommendation was indeed a great foot in the door and it was a disruptive format. But now that you are offering such a large amount and variety of ad formats and you work directly with both publishers and brands, you are probably one of the fewest end-to-end -end platform out there. Looking at the programmatic inefficiency and dealing with so many exchanges and intermediaries between the publishers and the brands, I think there is more room for a more direct approach, so kudos on that. Okay, so now for the tough question. Why do you think we still see most of the direct programmatic budgets go to the standard IAB formats? I mean, now that both Outbrand and Tabula are public, 
we can see that the revenue is still decent compared to other digital mediums. For example, Banner Display did like, what, 60 billion in 2021? Search did around 78 billion, Video did 40 billion, and you guys did somewhere around the two, I guess? I think we need to think of it as, as an evolution, but a slower one than we would have uh, anticipated or hoped for. You know, on, only 10 or 15 years ago, the world of media buying was extremely inefficient with people buying only from people they knew, you know, uh, closing transaction in, in, in back rooms, smoking cigars, using Excels um, with a lot of line items to manage the media buying of hundreds of different, you know, sites. And so the bigger shift that happened uh, in that industry is the shift to programmatic platforms, which enable much better transaction and, and, and being able to, uh, to do the buy in a much more efficient way than it used to be in the past. The thing about these platforms today, especially platforms like the Trade Desk and DV360, is that they are really good at knowing how to run a media plan through the platform, but the focus is around delivering the KPIs of the past, like viewability and reach and frequency. They're not really good at driving results, driving ROI for the marketer, driving a real return on investment. And so at the end of the day, the majority of dollars still go to those traditional platforms and those traditional formats that people have been used to buying in the last 30 years. It's, it was basically about shifting the buy to a more efficient buy, but it wasn't about changing the format or changing the KPIs that they were uh, looking to achieve. And I think now, especially with the macroeconomics around us, um, that may really change in a big way. So in summary, I think what we're experiencing is the two waves of evolution of digitalization, right? The first wave was just about going from manual or Excel-driven media buying to uh, buying through a media platform like a DSP. So that was the first 10 years. And I think the next 10 years is going to be about okay, how do I go from being digitalized, which is great, to actually get the results I want? And that's where I think there's going to be a, a significant shift in expectation from just you know, spraying and praying or, or, or targeting audiences to really uh, expecting results from the, from the media that you're buying. And that's when I think people will start looking for better solutions than the platform they're using today and better formats than the, than the formats they were used to in the last uh, 20, 30 years. So the value is clear, but the adoption is a little slow. Gotcha. If you already touched performance marketing, we cannot forget about Google, Facebook, Instagram, and the fact that they're all well-known due to their positive ROI and performance campaigns. I would like to know what your strategy about these guys. As we all see the fall in their stocks due to the regulation changes, privacy, and few other issues, are you planning to take some market share out of them? So I think what's what's interesting is if you look at the amount of dollars that go into these uh, walled garden platforms, it's obviously the vast majority, right? Over 75% of every dollar um, goes into these walled gardens. But actually, when you look at the amount of time spent on these platforms versus the open web, you find that it's uh, that it's the reverse, right? Over 66% of, of users' time is actually spent on the open web versus on these platforms. So there's a big discrepancy there. And, and you know, throughout history, we've seen that pendulum usually comes to an equilibrium that is better than where it is today. So I think the easiest thing for a marketer is, is to continue to pour more dollars into those two platforms where everyone is already familiar with how to buy and how to see the value and how to optimize for, et cetera. But the reality is that when you look at the last 
10% of your spend on, on Facebook, you'll probably find that the ROI that you're getting for it is not as amazing as the first, you know, 10% of, of budget that you put into that platform. So I think um, marketers eventually will start thinking very hard about um, whether they are over-investing on Google and Facebook, whether they have, you know, too few eggs in the basket. And they need to really think about how do I diversify? How do I know to engage with audiences on the open web? Um, since actually, uh, you know, many of my audiences are are not necessarily on Facebook at all, right? And so I think Facebook caters to a very specific type of audience and there's a lot of people that are not on Facebook and are reading the news or are engaging with magazines or surfing the open web. And, and for marketers, they need to figure out a way um, to engage with them. And they need to, you know, diversify their investment portfolio from a media uh, perspective. So I think that's the direction uh, it will be, it, it will go in. What do you think of the year so far? You see the market trends right now and the companies are updating their forecast and guidance. 2021 was beyond excellent for all of the companies out there. Are we expecting to see the continuous growth or some major changes as we approach Q4? I think what's happening right now is actually healthy. I know it's it's extremely scary, but at the end of the day, it's healthy. If you look at markets historically, every eight or 10 years, there's been a big dip that cleans the market and allows new acceleration and the next curve of growth to start. We, have, we haven't had a correction since 2008. So this correction comes 13, 14 years after the last one instead of just you know eight to 10. So I think it's been a long time coming and I think COVID really shifted everything around. I think we're just still experiencing some of the shock waves that are related to COVID with all the supply chain challenges, obviously the situation in Europe, uh, which is impacting you know, people's psychology in a very, very big way. If you look long-term at the economy, having an inflation rate between 1% to 4% is actually healthy, and having interest rates around 3-4% is healthy. We've seen the markets in the last few years with a lot of money being dumped by governments and you know, printing money and, and, and you know, interest rates being uh, zero or negative in some countries. We see the, 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 the effects of that now with, with inflation rates, etc. We need to reach an equilibrium again. Now, everything is very volatile and everyone, everything, everything looks horrible to everyone. But at the end of the day, it's a very important shakeup moment for those that didn't have solid business models, good profitable businesses, and are going to have to recalculate their direction. Folks that do have solid businesses and have been, you know, uh, really creating real value are going to emerge out of this stronger companies with healthier and long, uh, with a healthier long-term business. So how is this year going to end? I, I'm actually more optimistic than most. I think we are uh, nearing the bottom of the markets and, and uh, the gloom and doom that everyone is expecting. I think we're going to uh, see an improvement in the supply chain and we're going to see, I hope, I very much hope, improvement in the situation in Europe. And, uh, and I think inflation and, in, you know, with interest rates uh, rising to a normalized level of 3-4%, I think we'll see inflation rates coming down to a normalized level that we've seen over the past 100 years and, you know, disregarding the last 10, which have really been the anomaly. I think by the end of the year, we'll start to see the economies stabilize and uh, we're going to go back to uh, to better and more healthy growth 
than uh, the volatility we've seen in the last three years. Gilad, we can talk for hours and I have so many questions, but we are running out of time and I would like to thank you for coming in today and contributing to the publishing community by taking part in our podcast. I wish you and Outbrain all the best. Thanks for inviting me, Daniel. We are wrapping up our second episode of PubTech in Review, a podcast that was created to help digital publishers gather more data, knowledge and opinions around tech, innovation and tools that can help them grow and improve their business. Thank you for listening and tune in for our next episode with more special guests. Have a great day. PubTech in Review.